All right, James chapter 5. Last week, if you remember in James chapter 4 through chapter 5, verse 10, James got on the case of the oppressive rich. The ungodly rich, those who had riches in this world that were focused upon them, they were not focused upon the eternity. He says, you've stored up for these things for the day of judgment. Now, as I talked about last week, you know, anyone here making over $225,000 is rich according to the government. I'm sorry, we are pretty much all rich in this room. I understand the debt ratio and the, and the poor, but it, compared to the standards of the world, we, we do live in incredible riches. We have access to things that no other people and, and governments have. For the, I mean, you can lose your job and you can actually get some help as opposed to you dying. We live in a really blessed country, as messed up as things can be. But we are, we are the rich. And one thing he warns them, he warns them about four things about to the ungodly, the ungodly rich. And really quickly before I do that, first the rich, they hoarded their wealth. They held on to it. You know, the purpose that God gives us riches for is to be a blessing to others. You never see a U-Haul following a hearse. Do you remember that? You know, it's ridiculous. The Egyptians tried to do it. It didn't work. The second thing, they had treated their employees poorly. They weren't paying them. They were overworking them. Thirdly, these rich, they lived in luxury and self-indulgence. It was all about themselves. And as a result, lastly, they condemned and murdered the innocent one. That could be a reference to Christ, but it also is a reference to the worker. Because they wanted something, their life meant nothing. And so they would kill the innocent. I have no doubt James is talking about many of the Christians in the circumstance who were poor and they were working in the fields and working in labor-type circumstances and the rich were oppressing them. Well, God has a day of judgment that's coming and it's going to, he's going to reckon things for those people who have oppressed you. And, and he sits there and he warns the rich and he comes along and he also says, hey, have hope. You who are being oppressed, you who are having hard times, who aren't making it. There's a reason why all this is happening. The scripture declares that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. All kinds of evil flow from the love of money. If you are pursuing money for the sake of having more of it, all kinds of evil are going to flow out of that. Because it's an idol in our lives. It is a, it's a false god, you know, Magog. You know, uh, you can't, I mean, mammon, you can't serve God and mammon. You know, money, the almighty buck. Jesus also said it's, it's impossible, almost impossible, for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Remember that? And the disciples said, oh man, we're toast. How's that going to happen? And Jesus said, well, well, with God, all things are possible. It is possible to have wealth and it not be number one. And there are amazing stories of people who have been, you know, this is a funny thing. When, when you are able to have the right priority, it's funny that God kind of gives you more. He keeps giving you more of it, and you try to give it away, and God keeps giving you more to give away. Not ridiculously, but to accomplish His will. 
I mean, isn't it awesome when you see someone in need and you're able to meet that need? It's wonderful. And then God goes, that guy's working with an open hand. I can work with that guy. Here's more. Boom. And you give it away. And he gives you more responsibility and more responsibility and more responsibility. There's very few people that can do this. And the, and the men and the women that I've seen able to do this, they, they're remarkable to me. You know, that it's not the big thing, but they're managers of God's economy, of God's wealth, of God's riches. They're distributors. They t- they've taken that talent that Jesus spoke of, and instead of putting it in the ground out of fear, they took it and they invested it in his kingdom. The reality of heaven is working in their minds. I will give an account for what I've been given. On that day, I want to hear that you've been, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. We all want to hear that, right? Start with what you have. I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about everything, your car, your time, your health. These are all talents that we have to choose to invest. And these people right here, James warns, were not rich towards God. They were rich towards themselves. If you treasure earthly riches, your home is not with Christ who left all his riches to come here to get us so that we would have his riches in the kingdom of God. I wrote that down for myself last night. You know, if my, if my treasures are here on earth, then my treasure is not with him. Jesus gave us the example. He left his treasures. He left all that and humbled himself, became a person, lived in poverty basically in his life to come get us and to ransom us with his own blood, to buy us back. And he has prepared a place for us to go, full of riches. I mansion I have for you, I've prepared for you. Where gold, this thing that we're trying to save and you know, hedge against inflation, is the pavement, is the asphalt in heaven. You know? Great, we're buying a bunch of asphalt at you know fifteen hundred dollars an ounce. Yes, we're to be wise here on earth, but where are our hearts? Remember the rich young ruler. Repent. The story of the rich young ruler. Remember that he wanted to follow Christ, but what kept him from following his Christ, from following Jesus, his riches? Jesus said to him that one thing that kept him from following. Jesus is always going to come to us to that one thing that keeps us from following. He's going to come to you and say, give it up. Let it go. Jesus, that is harsh. You're telling me to let my father die? He said to another man. Yeah. Let the dead bury their dead. You come follow me. Because that was more important than him. And he talks about hating your mother, brother, and sister. Obviously, he isn't talking about hating them, but he's saying, you've got to love me more than everything. Any pursuit you have, I have to be the pursuit. That rich young ruler, Jesus told him, hey, give up your riches. Go sell and give them to the poor and then follow me. And he went away because he was very sad, because he was very wealthy. But then he encourages the church. In verse 7, it says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Is near. Many of the church were probably, you know, like I said, working out there, they're being oppressed. And he's just telling them, wait, there's a reason for this. There's a reason why justice hasn't happened yet. 
Be patient. What would happen if the Lord wasn't patient? What would happen if He came back 20 years ago? Where would you be? 10 years ago, 5 years ago, some of you. Months ago. He's patient. And that also says that we have a mission yet. The reason why He hasn't come back yet is because there are more people that He wants to bring into the kingdom. So if that's the situation, what, what should our priority be? His. And how easy it is to go after these pursuits of things instead of Him. Now, does that mean you're going to be like a life? Like I shared with surfing, you know? God taught me how to surf. You're like, what? God taught me how to surf. Yes, we were out there on the water together. No. I, said, I sat at the beach one day. I said, Lord, I'd really love to learn how to surf. And he brought another brother along who actually happened to make surfboards. He was a drummer in the worship team. And we developed the relationship, made the board. Got the, and he answered that prayer. It's not as if God was going to make your life totally horrible. Seek me first. That's what he wants. And all these other things. I'll take care of those. Be patient, stand firm, put your eyes back on the prize he's, t- prize he's telling them. Christ is returning, so don't grow weary in doing well. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you're going to be judged. The judge is standing at the door. <clears throat> I know it's hard, but stop. don't be biting at each other. Don't start talking, back, you know, talking behind each other's backs and saying, oh, the pastor needs to be quiet. Or, you know, anything about the pastor is wrong. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you know how we get in our little factions and do our little things. And that doesn't honor the Lord. James is saying, hey, don't do that. You're going to be judged. Don't do that. Let's knock it off. So James calls them to be patient and persevere in the face of suffering. You know, being persecuted for their faith. Being poorly treated by their employers. Anybody had that situation go on? Not being paid when they should have been paid. Being overworked, even killed. I'll tell you, we have a pretty good situation here in America. James reminds them to persevere in their suffering and points them to Scripture to comfort them. You need comfort in your life? You feel like things are overwhelming? Where's the first place that you go? I just want to ask that. What is in your tool bag? Who do you go to for comfort? Where do you go to for comfort? Well, James points them right to Scripture. Now, for some of us, that's scary because we don't know how to read Scripture, or we don't know how to interpret Scripture, or it's just boring to us because it's a bunch of thou shalt, thou shalt not. And I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to be asking the Lord to just open up opportunities for us to, to uh, equip one another on how to read Scripture and how to get in there and, and pull these things out and apply them. And it's going to just blow us away as we grow together. Some of you have been walking the Lord for a long time. Some of you have been opening and reading the Word, and you know these things. And, and, you know, get off your duff and start grab someone else and start discipling them, you know? That's how the church grows. That's how these younger brothers and sisters get to grow. But he comforts them with Scripture. Ready? Verse 10. We're going to whiz through this. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of of Job's uh, perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and and mercy. 
You know, there's so, something so unsettling about being in the middle of a trial. I don't know, but I, I, I've, I've shared with you, I have fibromyalgia, whatever they want to call it, and it just rocks my world. Some of you are hurting physically. Some of you are hurting emotionally, financially. It is, it is difficult. When you're down in it, it's as if you can't see past any of your nose. You know, anybody there? You know, all is dark and really unsure. And this is why the Lord in His wisdom, He's given us His Scripture. So we can see those guys who have gone through this, those gals who have gone through it. We can see the hardships that they endured. And we can see how God used it and worked it through into the end. And so we can go, okay, God is actually in here even though I can't see. I can see the example of how He works in our lives. That's important to me. And he points to the prophets. Think of Daniel, think of Isaiah, think of Jeremiah. All were treated horribly at times, thrown in lion's dens, all the great stuff, Son and two. But yet God was doing an amazing work through them and was with them. Job, he says. Remember he lost his business? Okay, you're hanging out one day, you've got a really profitable business, you've got seven kids, you've got a wife, everything's hunky-dory, you're all hanging out, and all of a sudden, you know, some, some bandits come and they, you know, they, they kill all your flock, your, their livelihood, and they come in the next day and then, they, then a whirlwind comes and kills the house where your, all your children are and they all die. Then on top of that, you get, all of a sudden you get boils all over your body. You're just, you're sitting there and you're scraping the stuff off of the pot shirt, you know? And then on top of that, you have friends who come by and telling you, oh, it's all because you've sinned. Then on top of the wa- that, your wife comes up and says, just curse God and die. You know? <laughs> Real great support system. What a trial. Now, we have the advantage of looking and seeing that there was actually a spiritual exchange between God and Satan going on. Job didn't have that advantage. But we can look and see by faith that these things have happened. And the reason why you're going through what you're going through, God is in the midst of it. He knows what's going on. And there is a purpose. There is a reason. And He is faithful and He is merciful. He is with you. One, He's trying to do something in your character. Two, He's trying to get you to, you know, to, to pay attention to, and to look. Number three, maybe he's trying to create something in your life so you can reach someone that you've never reached before and wouldn't be able to unless this happened to you. I don't know. But we look at the Scripture. We see these examples of these trials. Joseph thrown in a pit by his brothers. What was the deal with that? That's a pretty hardcore story. I, I, when I teach to Genesis, we're going to have fun with that because you got crazy family dynamics. You know, brothers and sisters from four different families, or brothers from four different families didn't like Joseph because he was the golden child, so they chucked him in a pit, you know? But God used that experience when he was sold into a, a slave in Egypt. He used that. God was working the pride out of this guy. God was working the pride out of him. He was young. God was going to use him, but he was pretty boastful and powerful in it. 
Hey, you guys are all going to bow down and worship me. Pretty cool, huh? Listen, you punk. You're going in the pit. Until he called out to God and said, you know what, I can't interpret this dream for Pharaoh, but God can do it. Oh, the next day, guess what? He was second in command of all of Egypt and used for a great purpose to be a blessing to nations in a famine time. There's something God's doing in your life. You just don't know it. You can't see it. Like we talked about earlier, embrace the trial. David, we can go on and on. Are you going through a trial this morning? Immerse yourself in Scripture. Get into the Word. Read about your brothers and sisters who've gone before you, who have finished the race, who endured tremendous hardships. See how God worked in their circumstances and know that He's a work in yours. And by the way, how the enemy has effectively taken our most, one of our most powerful tools out of our hands. How many of you read the Scriptures? Awesome. Now, for the rest of you, you know, most of us don't like to be told what to do. I understand that, you know. But it's good for us. Remember in the very beginning in the garden, the one thing that, God, that they, Satan wanted to take and mess with with Eve? Did God really tell you that? It starts messing with what God said. And all throughout the ages, the enemy has tried to take away God's word. And he's, when he takes away the word of God out of our hands, we go all over the place. We lose hope. We lose direction and correction. And we lose the prize. You know, man does not live by bread alone, but upon every word that comes from the mouth of God. That is our life. The word of God. Be in it. That's why we put emphasis on it Sunday morning. It's where we're talking about it. It, it cuts to our hearts. It, it deals and messes with our motives. It changes it. It, it. it corrects us. It puts us on the right path. It encourages us. Don't let the enemy take that out of your life. Get back in. James encouraged our brothers and sisters to be patient and to persevere. Our hope is in the Lord. Faith comes by hearing, right? And the hearing of the Word of God. We need to have faith in our, in our, in our troubles. Faith that God's going to do something. Where does faith come from? Faith comes by taking God at His Word. Well, how, how can you do that if you don't know what it's saying? We're Christians. We've been born again. God said, okay, your new food, your spiritual food is my Word. Get in it. Eat as much as you want of it. You'll never, ever, ever be like, oh, I don't want anymore. You'll continue to grow, and your capacity for more will grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. How many anemic Christians we have? We wonder why things aren't happening. We're not eating the food that God's called us for. The fuel to persevere is given to us in his word. So get in it, right? Now James reminds his brothers and sisters to be pure in their speech, so to speak. He kind of jumps a little subject here and says, Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven, nor by earth, or anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you'll be condemned. Ouch. You're, any of you guys remember when you were kids? 
I swear, my mother's grave. Swear to God, hope to die, stick a needle in eye, whatever these things are we came up with that mean absolutely nothing. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. The reason why you have to do all that is because you're not trusted. You know, definitely not trusted in schoolyard, you know. <laughs> Everybody's out to get you. But I mean, let your yes be yes and your no be no. We need to work on that. There's nothing like working with a business person and say, yeah, I'm going to do that, and they do it. It's like, wow, you have my business. Is that, is that worth paying a few extra dollars for honesty? Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, that's worth its weight in gold. Integrity. Lord, do that work in us. In the time back then, they were um, you know, swearing by all these crazy little different gods and all these types of things that were popular, saying, no, just let your yes be yes and your no be no, just like Jesus we're to be like our Father in Heaven. When He says it, it happens. When He says no, He means no. So, now James is giving some more general wisdom here as we move on into verse 13. We've got to pay attention to this. Is anyone among you in trouble? Is anyone in here tr- in trouble? Anyone? Solution. Let them pray. Amen. When you are in trouble, we are to be a people of prayer. Where do you go when you're in trouble? Yeah, wherever you don't go, wherever you do go, correct it to this. First thing, pray. We go to the Father. We go to the Source. You're in trouble, pray. Wow. He's told us so far to persevere. Now He's told us to pray. You're anyone in trouble, pray. That's underline, star that, circle it, sticky note, whatever you need to do. Tattoo it on your forehead. Is anyone in trouble, pray. Immediate application, I love that. How about this? Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Some of you guys are so darn happy. What's up with you? That's a great thing. Sing to the Lord. Sing. I don't want to sing. I don't care what you want. God is not concerned with that. Prescription for joy is praise the Lord. Remember, we convert, we conform what we want to do to what He wants to do, right? That's called Christians. We imitate and follow Jesus Christ. You're in trouble, pray. You're overjoyed, sing to Him. But I don't sing. Start. Start. Doesn't mean you have to sing up here with all of us, you know. I mean, just start singing to them in your car. It's going to be silly, but it's going to give you some absolute amazing spiritual dynamic in your life. You're all Matt. You're a singer. That's easy to say. I had to start sometime. Let's just sing. Sing to the Lord out of your heart. Thank you, God. Whatever you want to sing. The enemy's going to go. Oh, that's a horrible voice. Oh, you don't want to sing praises to the God. To God, you 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 sound horrible. I've never heard singing so out of tune. You might as well just stop singing. Actually, you should never open your mouth again. That's what the enemy is going to be doing. 
Amen? The Lord is going, that's my child singing to me. How many of you ever had children singing? Screeching, squirrely, whatever they are. And it's beautiful for a time. But I mean, for him, he, he likes that stuff. Right? <laughs> Sing to the Lord. Give you overjoyed. Sing to the Lord. Immediate application. Is anyone among you sick? I know so many of you are sick today. It plagues us. It plagues us. Now, I know that many of you have been sick. I hear about it all the time. I see it. But what I have noticed is that hardly anyone has ever taken advantage of what God calls us to do in that circumstance. Hardly ever. Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. If you're sick, supposed to get a hold of the elders and have them pray for you. Why is that? Well, after each service, you know, we have elders available. We, we've made this available for you. You know, it's just in the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If you're sick, come to the elders. Let us pray for you. That you would be healed. And guess what? The Lord will raise you up. The prayer of faith will heal you, it says. What does that mean? It's kind of an interesting thing, the prayer of faith. I've got more faith. It's how I say in Jesus' name. That's how it happens. No. Any of you who have ever spent any time in prayer with other people, this is why we encourage it, you'll be praying for something, or someone else will be praying for something. It happens to me, all, it happens to me every time. And they're praying, and it's like, so what? I'm sorry, you know, it happens. It's just, it's just not there. But then someone else will pray, and all of a sudden, it's as if they are taking the very words out of your heart. A lot of you are nodding. The Spirit is prompting that in you, that prayer of faith. Yes, Lord, you want this to happen. And you start agreeing, and you just know that this is what God has to do. The prayer of faith, it's not up to any particular individual. And I have a feeling that the reason why they're bringing, you know, call upon the elders of the church is because there's probably some wisdom in there. There's probably some discernment that's going on. Let me continue to read. It says, If any have sinned, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. He expands the circle. But I do want to say this, that when you get in a situation and we're praying for you, often the Lord will put something on someone's heart in that circle, the kind of a little discernment. Oh, they've got a cold. Great. Let's pray for them. Or this is deeper than this. This is a result of something else. Perhaps it's sin. 
Now, one thing I do want to say is that sometimes people are sick because they have sin. Scripture teaches that, absolutely. Remember the guy, the paralytic who came down? What did Jesus say to him? He said, your sins are forgiven you. Take, take up your mat and walk. It wasn't an issue of he got a sickness. It was because of sin in his life that he was in that condition. Now, there are those that go around and say, because you are sick, it's because of sin. That is not biblical. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. It takes discernment in prayer to find out what's going on. Sometimes you're just sick. James, I mean, John chapter 9, verse 1 through whatever. We're almost done, everybody. Remember? Who, is, who sinned? The disciples asked. This man or his, or his parents that he was born blind? Who sinned? Lord Jesus, tell me. So none. This man didn't sin. No one sinned. It's so that God could have his glory through this man. So I could come and heal him. That's why. Not all sickness is because of sin. But there are those circumstances like Paul talks about and says some of you are sick and are dying and have passed on because you've taken the Lord's supper in an unworthy manner. Some of us, God's trying to get you awake, attention. The reason why we're in this circumstance is so that... Wake up! Now, to a child that we have who's that wonderful child that does everything you have, you don't have to implement any sort of force into their life, do you? They just do what you want. How many of you have one of those children? Okay, none. So what has to happen? Sometimes the Lord has to come in and give us a little bit of thing to get our eyes back on Him. He lovingly corrects us. Sometimes we're under his discipline. Those he loves, he disciplines. If you're sick this morning, come let us pray for you that you may be healed. I have no doubt this morning, just like the Lord was working there, that we could pray and some of you might be healed this morning. That's how God works. He says it, I believe it. Whether he wants to or not is up to him. It's not how I say in Jesus' name or how you put the oil on the head and all this stuff. It's up to the Lord if he wants to heal you or not. The Lord will lift them up. The Lord will raise them up. That is clear. Take advantage of these things that the Lord's talking about. Come and let us pray for you. And not only the elders of the church, your brothers and sisters next to you. This ministry is extended to you. You see someone in hurt. You don't need to come grab me. You go for it. The same Holy Spirit that's in me is in you. The same Holy Spirit that's, you know, in anyone in here. He's here. He can work through you. And that's why he goes on in verse, was it, 17... And he starts talking. He says, let me get back to my notes here, wherever we are. 17, he says, hey, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we were. Elijah, man, wow, that guy rocked. But he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It didn't rain on land for three and a half years. And again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth 
produced its crops. The prayer of a righteous man availeth much. He's just like us. It was the Lord working through him. God wants to use you. Now, Deems reminds us that God uses ordinary people, right, to accomplish things. There's no way I could pray for someone they would be healed. Again, it isn't you who heals. It is him. There's no way I could lead someone to Jesus. It isn't you who does it. It's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit. He's the one who draws. You just have to get on the benefit and go, woohoo! Look at Peter when he walked on water. Think about this. To the degree that you doubt and look at your own inadequacies is the degree that you kind of cut yourself off from God being able to use you. Get it out of the way. I can do nothing apart from Christ. Period. Can't do anything apart from him. But through Christ, I can do all things. This is the end right here. Look at Peter when he walked on the water. He did great until he started looking at the circumstances. He got his eyes off of Jesus, and what happened? Sink. God wants to do amazing things through you. Put your eyes on Jesus. The last thing that James reminds the church here is in chapter 5 is to pursue. Pursue the lost. He told them to persevere, to pray, and now he reminds them of the mission, the purpose. The purpose, guys. The big picture. Keep saying faith without works is dead. You say that you have faith, but you don't live it out. It's dead. You have to live it out. It's lived out in your relationship for one another, your love for one another. It's lived out by going out and doing what God calls you to do. This is it. My brothers and sisters, verse 19, if one of you should wander from the truth and some should bring back that person, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. We are to be actively pursuing those who have wandered from the truth. I just think about the brothers and sisters. Each of you know people who are no longer in fellowship anymore. How many of you know people who are no longer in fellowship anymore? Whatever their excuse is, whatever it is. It's not that they've walked away from the building, they've walked away from him. They've walked away from the body. They've walked away from their purpose. I understand there's politics and all this kind of stuff. But we are to be actively pursuing those people and bringing them to Jesus. It's not about getting them in the building again. That's a, by, that's a, a result of loving the Lord. We want to gather together. It's about bringing them to the Lord. Go pursue them. Snag them out. Find out what's going on. Ask them the hard questions. So what if they hate you? You're loving them. But not only those who have stepped away, but also those who are lost in this community who don't want to have anything to do with the Lord. Go get them. Go get them. As I ask all the time, how many, how many of you in the past, let's say since the last time I've asked, have been engaged in, in talking to someone, just, just talking to someone about Jesus? And we wonder... Praise God, praise God, praise God. James is hard-hitting. He pull, doesn't pull any punches. If you hear this this morning, you'd be like, come on, get on the ball, everybody, let's go, let's go get him. Or are we too distracted by the shiny things of this world? Go get them. Bring them back to the Lord. Faith without works is dead. If you're a Christian, 
You have Christ in you, and Christ is all about the lost. I want to be holding a class this fall about the basics of our faith. We're done. The basics of our faith. I want to teach a class on the basics of our faith. What, what, who is God? Who is, who is Satan? You know, what's the Trinity about? Just the basics of our faith. But then in that, I also want to talk about discipleship. Discipleship. Just four basic things about discipleship. What is a disciple? A disciple is in fellowship. He's in community. The disciple prays. We get our marching orders from him. A disciple is in the word. But guess what? A disciple shares his faith. That's what they were. They were doing. So let's change. Remember, we conform to him. And that's what James is saying. This whole thing. Let's start doing what he says and he wants, no matter how we feel. That'll be awesome. James, a hard-hitting book. Get in gear. Lord, we want to thank you for this book. We just ask that our lives would change. Cause us to be moved, Lord. Not just hearers of the word, but doers. I pray that there would be opportunities that your spirit would give us. Not just, uh, not just things we just kind of work up to be busy, but genuine things that you want us to be about. Bless our families, Lord. Help us to reach them. Help us to change. Help us to you look at our finances. Help us to look at our cars and our jobs and everything as an opportunity that you've given us to further your kingdom. Pray for the sick this morning. Pray for those who are in trouble. I ask by your spirit that you would pull them forward. Allow us to minister to them. Allow this body to minister to one another. Strengthen us, Lord, right here so we can go out and do what you've called us to do. In the name of Jesus, amen.